Uh, Please open your Bibles to Esther chapter 6. Esther chapter 6, if you're going to use the Pew Bibles, that's in the blue Pew Bible. It's going to be on page 413. In the black Pew Bible, it's page 385. So 413 in the blue one. The black one is 385. My name is Brett Sweet. I'm one of the pastors here at GCF Central where we exist to glorify God through gospel-centered worship, evangelism, discipleship, and community to Central, South, and West Spokane. And if you're just joining us for the first time, we're in a series through the book of Esther, which I've titled Silent Providence, Certain Deliverance. And we're going to see those really summarized today's text in Esther chapter 6. Let me, let me pray. Again, Mother's, Happy Mother's Day. There's always kinds of complications on Mother's Day. Um, but with all that being understood, Happy Mother's Day. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this text. Thank you for truth. Sung and now heard, read. Lord, we pray that we would build our lives upon the rock that is your word. And we pray that we would understand your word rightly. And your perfect son said that all of the Bible is about him. So we pray that as we open this text and we look at it and seek to understand it, that we would see how it relates to him, how it points to him, how he's worthy of of glory and celebration on our accounts. We pray we'd be a humble people in Jesus' name. Amen. Life is hard. Bills keep going up. Your body keeps breaking down. The relationship with that one family member keeps getting worse. Those sins, even though it's been months or years, keep calling you back to them. What we need is a reversal. That's the human condition. We see things going wrong and we need a reversal. According to an online dictionary, a reversal is a change to an opposite direction, position, or course of action. So a reversal is a change to an opposite direction, position, or course of action. And reversals become a key theme in the coming chapters of Esther. And our hearts really want reversals to be true. We want them to be true. We hear of these rags to riches stories. And we say, yeah, that, it would be nice if those are true. One of my favorite now dead actors is this guy Charles Bronson. Charles Bronson was in a couple of my favorite old westerns, uh, The Magnificent Seven, Once Upon a Time in the West. When Charles Bronson was young, his father died at age 10. They were so poor, he had to work in coal mines, and they were so poor that one day he had to actually wear his big sister's dress to school. No money. And then he's this sought-after movie star, famous. We, we watch Cinderella, and she benefits from this reversal, going from the ashes, literally, to the princess. We watch Aladdin. We see this, him benefit from this reversal where he goes from being a common thief to being a prince. We hear of Jim Carrey benefiting from this reversal where he was a janitor cleaning bathrooms to winning awards, being a funny guy that everybody wants to listen to. But the question is, is it all make-believe? Do they really happen? And if they were to happen, would they actually happen to us? 
Well, Esther chapter 6 is a picture of a reversal, but it tells us an eternal truth. This is the overarching theme here. Divine reversals always benefit God's people. Divine reversals, when, he cha- when God changes course of things, they always benefit God's people. They always benefit God's people. So years earlier in Esther, Mordecai the Jew has saved King Xerxes' life. He's foiled an assassination plot, but he went unrewarded, neglected, shunned, it seems, in a, in a sense. And meanwhile, that while his hard times con- continued, this guy Haman, the enemy of the Jews, advances. He's number two in the kingdom, just under the king. And now, when we leave chapter 5, Haman is after Mordecai this very morning. He's coming to have Mordecai executed. And that's where we pick things up. Haman's working on having him executed. And so the question is, is, will Mordecai be saved? What can stop this from happening? And Esther chapter 6 is going to show us that a divine reversal is going to happen. And so we'll look at three aspects of that. One is the timing of the divine reversal. There's the timing of it, which factors in very much into this idea of silent providence, this timing of a divine reversal. Then we'll look at the the reversal of status. Two men are going to change positions, it seems. There's going to be a reversal of status. And then last, we'll look at the benefit to God's people. So the last, we'll look at the benefit to God's people. So timing of a divine reversal, the reversal of status, and then the benefit to God's people. Let's start with the t- timing of divine reversal. So God's name is unmentioned in the book of Esther. God doesn't seem to be seen or heard anywhere. But actually, his silent providence is orchestrating things very crucially according to what he is after. And that is the salvation of his people, really, to bring us Jesus. But in this, in this moment in time, we're going to see God's perfect divine timing for this reversal. And this is really many, these first two verses are what most scholars consider the hinge of the book. The key verses. So let's read them. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. On that night, remember the night where Mordecai is planned to be killed, the king could not sleep. And he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles. And they were read before the king, and it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold and who sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So there, the king is kind of a funny story. Actually, this chapter might be the funniest story in the whole book of the Bible, um, but it's deathly serious. We've seen evil doesn't rest. But while that's going on, while Haman is planning Mordecai's death, Mordecai is just sleeping. He's just sleeping. He doesn't know what's coming. But there's someone else who isn't sleeping, and it's the king. Now, why isn't the king sleeping? Is he, he knows Esther, Queen Esther, is going to come with some the next day. Maybe he's racking his mind. He says, hey, bring the, bring the people to, to come let me know. Maybe, maybe there's something I'm missing here. Or maybe it's just one of those nights that we've all had. You can't get comfortable. Can't shut off your brain. Seems like just chance, right? And so what does the king do? He needs a sedative. He needs something to help him sleep. Genius idea. 
call my attendant and tell him to come and, and read the boring stuff to me. Drone me to sleep. And so what do they come? And, and of, of all the time periods they could read from, from an empire that lasts for hundreds of years, they read about these events. This event's about how Mordecai saved the king's life. By chance? By luck? No. Everything always happens when God determines. The timing of a divine reversal is occurring. And it's happening in the middle of the night. And it's happening without people seeking it out. It's happening exactly when God wants. Neither sooner nor later. Now, God's timing often doesn't align with our purposes, does it? Most of the time, we would rather Him come in and reverse things for us earlier or later. But God is God, and we're just people. We don't get to make those decisions. And God does everything exactly when He most wants to, when, he, when the events will most lead to His glory and our good. So... The car crash didn't happen by chance or at the wrong moment. The, the, the death of that loved one, as hard as it is, happened exactly when God intended. You did not meet the people in your life by luck or chance. Did not happen that way. You didn't get the new job or make the good or bad investment or miss the plane all by chance. All of this is happening according to divine timing. Now, you can't reason whether things are necessarily good or bad, just the way things work. But the fact is, God is in control of all of it. You're not here this morning hearing this sermon by chance. It's divine timing. You're here to hear this. And all of these things are God is going to use to benefit. He's going to cause reversals in our lives that benefit God's people. And divine reversals always benefit God's people. It's going to change things. They always benefit God's people. So we've looked at the timing of the divine reversal. Now let's look at the reversal of status. The reversal of status. Two guys are uh, being discussed here. You'll see Haman and Mordecai. And there's going to be a reversal of status. Look with me at verses 3 through 11. And then we'll notice two things. But first, let's look at the text. Verses 3 through 11. And the king said, What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace, divine timing, to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king said to him, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And came, Haman said to himself, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the, 
and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. There's a reversal of status going on here. One of the funniest moments in the Bible, maybe the funniest. So Mordecai comes in. He's thinking this is going to be a great day. My enemy, Mordecai the Jew, is going to be killed. And Mordecai, and, and I'm going to be exalted. But there's a reversal of status going on. So when there's a reversal of status, we need to notice that God's man benefits. God's man benefits. So Mordecai was ignored for years, years after saving the, the king's life. Now at this moment in history, it was super important that when you saved, when, when a king's life was saved for something like this, that they were rewarded. You wanted to show your whole empire that loyalty to you is a really, really good thing. And disloyalty needed to be punished. But now here's this guy, Mordecai, who years ago saved the king's life and he was neglected. And not only that, he's on his way to death, it seems like. But then Haman shows up at just the right time. And Mordecai, God's man, is the one who benefits. Because divine reversals always benefit God's people. And there's this talk about clothes. In ancient times, oftentimes there was this understanding that really the clothes represented the position you were wearing. So the reason why so many of you wear Seahawks jerseys on Sunday is because you're part of the team that day, aren't you? You feel that way. I'm going to put them on. Well, in the same way, the king, the, when Haman asked for the king's clothes to be brought, Haman, he's thinking to himself, you know, I can't quite be king, but I can be close. So, so here's what, here's what he dis, he's asking. Like, hey, I want to wear the king's clothes for a day. I want to ride the king's horse. I want, I want their, I, I can't have a crown put on me, but you can put crown on the horse, which seems silly, but believe it or not, the Persians, there's Persian artwork that shows that horses actually had these kind of headdresses things. And so this God, but God's man is the one who benefits. So Mordecai is led through the city on the king's horse, wearing the king's robe. And they hear this person being shouted from a distance and honored. And so everybody is probably thinking, here comes the king, wearing the king's horse, not wearing the king's horse, riding the king's horse, wearing the king's robe. But then they get close and it's not the king. It's someone, who, someone else who benefits. So imagine for a second the Batmobile pulling up outside. You know, the really cool one from like 1989 Batman that goes super fast as a rocket boosters. Um, by the way, physicists estimate that car could go like over 300 miles per hour. But anyhow, um, so the Batmobile pulls up. And what are you expecting? You're expecting this really 
buff guy with the, ma- with the mask and the, the, the pointy ears and all that to step out. But do you know who might step out actually? Maybe just a sickly little kid who's headed for death, who's got a terminal disease. That's what it's like in Australia. There's this guy, his name's Zach Mihidjilovich. He's recreated the Batmobile. And he gives little kids rides, make-a-wish kids rides around. So who is it that benefits? The, the insignificant person. And that's always how God's kingdom works. We want to be big and exalted and high, but God exalts, benefits the weak, the little, the suffering ones. In the reversal of status, God's man benefits. But where there's a reversal of status, that also means that God's enemy is shamed. God's enemy is shamed. So Haman is coming at just the right time. Just the right time. It's going to be a good day for him, he thinks. His enemy Mordecai is going to be executed. And with the king's approval, and the king always approves of what Haman says. So of course, this is the day. But he doesn't even get a chance to ask the king to have Mordecai executed. Because the king asks him something first. And he's so proud. All he can think about is himself. Who else would want to be, would the king want to honor? No, we're not that proud, are we? When you daydream, and you all daydream, who's the real hero? Who's the, who's the one who's really cooked the best meal? Who's the one who really makes the hole-in-one? Who's the one who's interviewed by the local news as the real witness? We're like Haman. But there's a reversal of status here for Haman, isn't it? He wanted Mordecai dead, but instead he has to actually honor Mordecai. So you picture this guy who is, for, for months now, all that's been on his mind is he wants this guy Mordecai gone. And now... You can just picture the scowl on his face. So he looks up and he look, and every time Mordecai looks down literally from his high horse, he sees God's enemy down there leading the horse about. And he's feeling, that enemy is feeling shame. He's shame. He's beneath God's man. There's been a reversal of status. So do you see a little bit of a gospel parallel here? Do you see that? Jesus was a man acquainted with grief. He was a man of sorrows. He was low. He was taking the lowest place. And then he went all the way to the cross. Why? Because he was a, because he was a sinner who, who deserved death? A criminal? No. Because that's what we deserve. He went to the cross for us. And we, just, we, we watch this happening in the pages of Scripture and we think this, there's something wrong here. This isn't right for Jesus to suffer and die like this. He needs a reversal. Then he dies on the cross. But then three days later, the reversal happens. And God's man benefits. Jesus, eternal God, eternal man, or fully man, is, is resurrected to live forever. The great reversals happen. And he benefits. But so do his people. 
So do his people. Re- listen to Colossians 2, 13 through 15, how God's man and God's woman benefit. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now listen to this. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. In the Roman Empire especially, but also in other ancient cultures, there, when uh, an army would defeat another culture, there would, they would have what's called a triumph. It was basically a big parade and party. And what they would do is they would take the leaders, usually in chains, and march them through the streets to shame them. Say, look how much better we are than these people. So the Romans would say, look at all these barbarians from Germany. Look, we got this guy in chains. We're going we're gonna to make fun of him. He thought he was so big, but we're so much better. But that's what Jesus does to the eternal enemies that he faces. He triumphs over them. He shames them. He's too powerful because of this divine reversal. But that leads to really the, one of the key questions in the book of Esther. Who are you? Are you God's man who will always benefit? God's woman who will always benefit? Or are you God's enemy who will be shamed? It's hard questions. See, we're like Mordecai. We want to be king, and not just for a day, but all the time. And actually, no, we want to be God. We want everything to be like the way we want it. Which means if we want to be God, but God is God, we have a rival. We're God's enemies by nature. So children, this morning, listen to me because I love you. The most loving thing I can tell you is the most truth. You're not in yourselves good. Adults, same for you. That text we just read says you're spiritually dead. Until God makes you alive, you're not God's man or God's woman. You're God's enemy. Until that happens, till you're born again. So if you have the slightest inkling today to turn to Jesus and put your trust in him, do it. Become God's man or God's woman today. And what he'll do is he reverses your status. He reverses you from being a sinner to being a saint. He reverses you from being an orphan to being his child. He reverses you from being under the debt of the legal demands of being on trial and knowing you're going to be convicted to being exonerated. He reverses you from being dead to being alive. Mordecai was supposed to be executed, but since he's God's man, Jesus was executed in his place. And Mordecai lives. There's a reversal of status taking place in Esther 6, and divine reversals 
always benefit God's people. They always benefit God's people. We've looked at the timing of the divine reversal. Now we've looked at the reversal of status. And last, let's look at the benefit to God's people. The benefit to God's people. That's what we're after, right? Is anybody going to benefit? Look with me at verses 12 through 14. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate. But Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. And Haman told his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife, Zeresh, said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. As this humorous story ends, it's interesting to note, Who's closer to the king now? Mordecai is at the king's gate. Haman has gone pouting home. In a sense, what's interesting is Haman has been building this castle of sand that's very ornate according to his own designs. But what he doesn't know is the tide has shifted and the first wave has now lapped up against his castle. He knows something else is coming. He's beginning to feel it. Haman brings the bad news to his wife and his friends. It says the wise men, which in this context could be like the pagan, uh, like occult fortune tellers, prophets, prophets, stuff like that. Could be possibly diviners. But what they realize is something interesting. If Mordecai belongs to God's people, Mordecai will succeed and Haman will fall. In fact, we're told the, the falling has already begun. So Mordecai is then, we're told in the last verse, verse 14, he's led away to Esther's banquet. And we know what Esther's going to ask. And we know that the king's going to do what Esther asks. He's begun to fall. And divine reversals are going to benefit Mordecai and they, because divine reversals always benefit God's people. But this is a hard text to preach. And the reason why is there's this error that lots of preachers make. They take something very specific that happens in history and they generalize it. And they say, oh, well, because a good thing happened to Mordecai, a good thing will happen to you too. But I am generalizing I am, I'm not saying specifically that God's man Mordecai benefits. I'm saying the divine reversals always benefit God's people. How can I say that? It sounds a little bit like I'm saying, if you're a Christian, you'll never get cancer or COVID. You'll never crash a car. You'll be safe. You'll probably be wealthy. Just invest your money however you want and it'll grow. That's not Christian at all. Sounds like the prosperity gospel. But there's something in the Bible that says that divine reversals always benefit God's people. Listen to Romans 8, 28 through the beginning of 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So no matter how bad things get, 
no matter what reversal occurs in your life, it will work to your benefit. What's the benefit? That you'll be rich? No, not necessarily. That you'll be healthy? No. That you'll be like Jesus. Everything will work together for your good. But notice again, it's for those who are called, for those who love God. So imagine for a second if something really horrendous happened. A deranged person comes in here. A bunch of people die for some reason or in some way. Could God use that for good? Could he? What do you think would happen if, would you think maybe that, that survivors would grow a little closer together in their love for one another? You think maybe that the news would be intrigued that Christians might respond a certain way? Say, what, who is this, this Jesus that they worship? That they're, they're trying to be like? What do you think might happen? You think that even all this tragedy could be used for good? You know, and, and so most of us know, we, we, we like the Mordecai story. We like the rags to riches. We'd, if we are on Twitter, we'd say, hashtag blessed. <laughs> hey, sold my house for a big profit. Hashtag blessed. Must have been a divine reversal. But what about when the reversals go the other way? When things go the way we wouldn't want them to pl- be planned? What happens when God is disciplining you for your sin? You've been sinning against him? And now you're suffering a little bit because you feel it. God will reverse your sin and use it to make you holy. That's the sort of God we worship. He's a wonderful God. Hebrews 12, 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 10. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. God reverses your sin and use it to make you holy. What about when you're suffering? God will reverse your suffering into hope. God will reverse your suffering into hope. That's the sort of God he is. Romans 5, 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice. We rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's the sort of God we follow. He takes suffering, reverses it into hope. What about when you're forced to give up your possessions or your home or your family? What happens then? What happens when you lose all your money because you're following Jesus? God reverses loss into greater gain. He actually reverses loss into gain. Luke 18, 29 through 30. And he, that's Jesus, said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. That's the sort of God we worship. God who reverses loss turns it to greater gain. Lately, my life has felt a little bit more heavy on the loss end. Probably just because I'm a, I'm a wimp. I need to toughen up a little bit. But this says something more to me. God's going to reverse my loss, turn it into greater, greater gain. What about when you're persecuted? So many of us 
Christians were so afraid of persecution because it is horrendous. We've seen what happens in history. What happens when you're, pers- when you're in persecuted? God reverses persecution into reward. Persecution reverses into reward. Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed. Hashtag blessed. Are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What about when you are alive and suffering and you just want it all to end? Philippians 1.21, reversed. For me to live is Christ. To live, that means I still got Jesus. What about when you're facing death? Philippians 1.21, to die is gain. Your death reverses into gain. What about when it seems like it's all too much? Can we really say that divine reversals always benefit God's people? What about when you just feel like you're a sheep being led to slaughter? Nothing is going right. Everything is hard. Does God really even care? Romans 8, 37 through 39. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Divine reversals always benefit God's people. No matter what happens, you have Jesus. You know, it's interesting if you go into a house where people have lots of stuff crammed in there. It's hard to pay attention to the really cool stuff because there's all these other distractions. Sometimes for us to see the best thing, Jesus, we need suffering and difficulty to take things away. Show us what's really beautiful, what's really valuable. And that's how God uses reversals. Mordecai had been passed over, neglected, forgotten, destined for death. How many of you have felt some of those before? I have. But in God's perfect timing, a reversal has happened. And divine reversals always benefit God's people. That's the way God has ordered the universe. We see it in the gospel. We see it where Jesus comes, humbles himself, dies, but is raised from the dead. We see it where the weaker people are the ones God uses to shame the strong. We see that the poor are the rich in God's kingdom, that those who mourn will have their tears wiped away, that those who are last will be first, that those who deserve to be condemned to to die will be declared righteous. And those whose deaths, like Mordecai, seem to be only hours away, will live. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this truth. Thank you that you are a God who can do this and promises to do this for your people. God, we're weak in faith. We don't, we've been wounded and we've been hurt and you know that and you care. But that can sometimes 
cause us to not see you properly. So would you help us to believe this? Help us to believe that really Mordecai is a picture of all of our eternal lives being reversed from a low status to a high status because you are a generous God. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.